recently went back and looked at my calendar from two years ago, July 2013, to see if I remember this correctly. Uh, my wife Bonnie and I met with a couple pastors of what was our church at the time, the City of Light Sending Church, and we were praying together and we felt the Lord saying, we want to send you out to start a church, to plant a church. That was on a Tuesday. The Thursday before, we had closed on a house we bought in that community. Mm. I went back to double check. Was it really five days later? Yes, it was. Wow. And so as we started this process and, and, and realized the Lord was leading us here to Aurora, um, we didn't know what we were going to do. It's too soon to sell that house. How is this going to work? Well, a friend of mine said, hey, I know someone in Aurora, you should give a call. So I did, and I had an hour-long conversation with Jake, and uh, I was having a lot of those conversations, then just telling him about what God was doing and, and how he could pray for us or what I could learn about Aurora from him. And so I hung up the phone. And I uh, thought, okay, well, we'll see what happens with that. The next day he called me back. And he said, hey, my wife, we're praying about this. And we were really excited for what the Lord is doing. And so if, if we're still living in Aurora next year, we're on your team. We want to help this happen. But it's likely that we'll be moving out of state. So I know this is a weird question, but do you need a house? <laughs> I said, yeah, we do. He's like, well, do you want to buy our house? Well, we can't. We just bought the center house. We really can't sell that, and it's too soon. And well, do you want to rent our house? He starts telling me about the house. Like, well, that—that's a big house. I don't know if we could sweep. Well, listen, we'll make it work. And they did. And two Julys after that first uh, closing of our house uh, in the other community, we moved into this house in this community. And uh, it's one of two driveways on the street. And that's important because in that driveway sits the trailer, and then all of this stuff is stored in all of it. And it's a two-car garage, and you can't get the cars past the trailer into the garage, so the garage has all of our extra supplies for the church. And upstairs in the attic is the church office and my study. And God had this all planned. And so this family, Jake and Betsy, their generosity is building this church. And our reading that we read from Acts today helps us understand what's happening when someone does something like that. When someone lives out a radical generosity where they, they look at a house that they own and they don't think, well, what's the best financial investment for us? What's the best, easiest solution? We're moving. Instead, they, they say that the things that belong to them are not their own. And they make a, a sacrifice of income so that the gospel can go forward. And, and I don't know if you notice this, but look at what, what's happening in chapter 4. Uh, turn in your Bible if you have it there, or on your device, or you've got some on the table over here. There's this back and forth that's happening in the passage, starting at verse 31. In verse 31, all the followers of Jesus who are gathered together, they pray that the Holy Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit comes empowers them to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 31, but that's okay. They're speaking about the resurrection. And then the next verse, 32, says that they're having everything in common. They're one heart, one mind, they're selling things to take care of them. And then it gets back again to verse 33 where it says with great power they're giving testimony to the resurrection. 
And then it flips back again to what they're doing. There's not a leading person among them. Do you see that going back and forth? See, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the resurrection begins to work out in our lives, we not only are empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak of the resurrection, but we're empowered to live in the resurrection. It's not just about what we do or what we say, it's also what we do. See, that's back and forth. They speak it, they live it. They speak it, and they live it. And so, this morning, I, I want us to, to think together and to look through this scripture together. How do we live this new generosity that is an outpouring of Jesus' resurrection? How do we live that together? <clears throat> Two ways. It is a spirit-filled generosity. And it's a sacrificial generosity. And I think we see that in that story I shared of Jake and Betsy giving their house to this church. They heard about what the Holy Spirit was doing. And they, the Holy Spirit just brought them on board. He brought a unity of purpose. And they said, well, we're in on that. It was spirit-filled generosity. But it's also sacrificial they said no to the money they could have been getting or an arrangement that could have been uh, easier for them. They said no to that, and so they sacrificed that to make the preaching and the living of the gospel for So let's look at those two things, spirit-filled generosity, sacrificial generosity, in this passage. Before we do that, let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. This passage is, it's saying something so new and radical about what it means to live in a community. Help us understand it, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can, we can know what it is the Spirit wants to do in and through us. Amen. It's Spirit-filled generosity is only possible through the Pentecost. This isn't the only time in Acts that the writer of Acts, Luke, says they were having all things in common and they were selling what they had to take care of one another. It happens in chapter 2 as well. Do you remember that? We read that a few weeks ago. Chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship with the breaking of the bread. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread at homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And here we see again that they're having all things in common. How? Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes for the first time in Pentecost with flaming tongues of fire and with a rushing wind. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they speak of the resurrection and they live out this radical new generosity of the resurrection the same thing is true here. In verse 31, they pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the room that they were in was shaken. Not only is there a spiritual filling of the Holy Spirit, but he gives a physical sign that something physically happens, just so they know this is the Holy Spirit working. And Luke wants to make sure we know that. We can't live lives of radical new generosity without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? It says in verse 32, they were of one heart and soul. 
They're of one heart and soul. They shared, they shared something so deep in common. What was it? Well, Ephesians 4, another letter in the New Testament, helps us understand what it is that we share as, as part of the body of Jesus. It says in Ephesians 4, 4, that there is one body and one spirit. One body. So even though together there are many bodies here, it's like there's one body because the same Holy Spirit is in every body that follows Jesus. So we're one in the Spirit. So, so we are called to one hope. What is that hope? It's the hope of the resurrection. We'll talk more about that in a minute. One Lord, one faith. We're called to follow Jesus, that He is our Lord, He is our leader, that we follow Him, and we place our faith in Him, that we believe He is the one who saves us, His resurrection. One baptism, that through, through the baptism that we all share as followers of Jesus, we are brought into the family of God, and so that we have one God, the Father of all. He's in all, and over all, and through all. You see, because the Holy Spirit has come, we are now part of the same family. We have that family life in common. We have the same Father. We have the same uh, Jesus Savior. And we have the same Spirit within us. We are one heart and one soul. And what happens when we're one heart and one soul? Then we say that none of the things that belong to us are our own. My kids, uh, we've been on Fridays going to the library and checking out books. And they'll fight over uh, which book they got once we get home. Well, I want to read that book. No, no, I got that book. You can't have it. That's my book. They forgot that they are borrowing that book. That book was given to them, right? So, yeah, they picked it out. Yeah, they checked out with their car. It does belong to them in a sense. They're responsible for it. But it was given to them. And we're a family, and we, we share. Verse 32, no one said that any of the things that belong to him was his own. What does that mean? Well, here's, here's what's not happening here. This is not the abolishment of personal property. The next chapter makes it really clear that it belongs to you. And actually, Luke says that twice in this chapter. The things that belong to you, they're yours. They're your personal property. This is not compulsory. No one's forced to sell everything they have when they enter this community. It's not a requirement for entrance. Um, it's, it's a decision. It's, it's, an, it's a choice. And isn't generosity always a choice? If, if you're forced to do it, it's not generosity. It's taxes, right? <laughs> no, generosity has to be a choice. It has to be a matter of something that you want to do. You can't be made to do it. You have to have something that you then choose to give. It's not happening constantly. It's happening as need arose. When someone had a need, then someone would be moved by the Holy Spirit to meet that need. It's Spirit-filled. The Spirit can come to us, can minister that deep oneness, that unity that we have in Jesus, so that we say, that what is mine is not mine. What is mine belongs to all of us. 
we can give what we have to others who, need, who are in need, to, to widows, to orphans, to refugees, to those that would come to us, that we can serve as we serve Christ. It's spirit-filled generosity. It's only possible by the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's only possible because the Holy Spirit makes us one, so that what we have is His. Two, it's sacrificial generosity. It costs them. That field that Barnabas sold, and when he gave the proceeds of that sale to the church, it cost him. It was gone. He no longer had that asset. He no longer had that resource. It cost him something. Generosity requires sacrifice. You cannot be generous without it costing you something, without you sacrificing something. I mean, this makes sense on a small scale, right? Imagine you're having uh, somebody over for dinner at your house, or your apartment. And so you clean a little bit extra beforehand so that things are, are, are not too chaotic for them when they walk in. You've, you've been making a meal for them, and you're going to take food that you bought and paid for and let them eat it. You're giving them food, right? And uh, you're getting things ready. You turn up the heat maybe a little bit higher than you would normally because you're very comfortable. It's called entertaining, right? So you don't do just the things that you would want to do, but you do things that everyone would want to do together. You sacrifice your favorite activity, maybe, so that you can always do it together. And after they eat your food, and they enjoy your warm house, and they leave, then you have to clean up. Right? Little sacrifices. Not too bad. But that sort of giving, that generosity of, of hospitality requires sacrifice. Now think about on a larger scale. What happens when you open your home up to someone longer term? What happens when you open your home up to someone who doesn't have a place to stay and they need a place to stay? It's a little harder, doesn't it? Sacrifice gets a little bigger. What happens when you open up your home to your neighbors so that you're just sharing in life in a deeper way? It gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? What happens when you open up your home to children? Uh, whether they're your biological children or children that you've Adopted for a season or for uh, indefinitely, it gets harder. It takes more sacrifice, doesn't it? It requires more of you. Think about the sacrifice of regularly taking money that you have earned in your paycheck and giving it to the church, giving it to other organizations that are doing good in the world. That is a sacrifice. You don't have that money anymore. Generosity requires sacrifice. We, we know this is true relationally too, right? Um, to be in a relationship, to give ourselves relationally to someone else, it takes sacrifice. And it, it's kind of scary too, because we don't know what's going to happen with that sacrifice. Another way to say generosity takes your sacrifice is to say uh, generosity is risky. It's risky. It's going to cost us something. Um, this truth was captured in a profound way by the 1970s Swedish pop group ABBA. <laughs> Is that how you say it? ABBA or ABBA? Yeah. ABBA? Yeah, I wasn't around in the 70s. Or the 80s, really. They got that song, you know what song I'm thinking of? Any guesses? Baby, take a chance on me, right? Hope you're gonna say dancing to me? That doesn't apply. <laughs> You want me to leave it there, afraid of a love affair? Can't you see? Baby, take a chance on me. 
other person at? How much do I share? How much do I give? Am I more in than they are? You're trying to make sure you're not, you're not risking too much too soon because what happens when you risk? What happens when you give yourself? Generosity requires that risk, that sacrifice of saying it's, it's going to hurt. Um, Bonnie and I experienced this uh, in a really personal way um, during our first pregnancy, which was a mystery. Hmm. And after that, um, the thought of trying again was really scary. It felt really risky. Because we had. Um, we had begun to welcome this new life in our home, and then that life was taken away. It hurt. And so now we have the choice. Do we want to risk this hurt again? Can we open our hearts up again to sacrifice and, uh, for this child? What if it hurts? And if you're a parent, then you know that getting to a birth of a healthy baby is just of this, the, the scariness of having a kid and wondering what's going to happen to them and are they going to be healthy and how long will they be healthy and are they going to reject me or are they going to reject the church or is something bad going to happen to them and you give your heart to someone else as a parent whether it's a biological child or whether it's an adopted child you give your heart and it is a risk generosity always requires that sacrifice and that risk. Because we live in a risky world, don't we? We have seen that in maybe a fresh way the last couple weeks with the terror that has happened in northern Nigeria, in Paris, in Syria, and other places. It is a risky world. And so we turn to Jesus' words that we read in Luke 9, because he has a message for us. And he, he asks it as a question. It's a question about security. It's a question about safety, which is on everyone's minds. You want to turn there with me to Luke 9? Whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save him. Jesus is asking us to take up our cross. What is the cross? The cross is the ultimate generosity. It is the ultimate pouring out of God's love, of God's self for us. Because in God there is an abundance. And so Jesus pours out the generosity of God by making an incredible sacrifice on the cross. And he says, if you want to follow me, you will also take up the cross. You will also take up sacrifice. And he asks us the question about our security. Where do you place your security? What do you try to save? What do you try to keep safe? Do you try to keep your life now safe? Or do you try to keep your eternal soul safe? What's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying that our life now will end in death. There will be pain, there will be suffering. But we can approach that in two different ways. We can try 
to create safety for ourselves, maybe an illusion of safety or a measure of safety. We can try to grasp onto what we have, hunger down, and, and try to make ourselves as safe as possible, but in the end, you'll lose your life. He says, no, the kind of life I've created you for is going to go on past death. The kind of life I've created you for is to give your life away. Can you think of a moment when you've given your life away and the joy that you've found in that moment? Yes, it's scary, but if you can get past that fear, the, the exhilaration of, of being connected to someone else and of giving your life away, that is what we are made for. And Jesus models that. He gives his life away for us and he invites us to come. Give your life away because you could be killed for doing that, but there is a resurrection. And if you give your life away now, your life will be given to you after your death. Because Jesus takes up his cross, he not only takes up his cross, he takes up the resurrection. And if we will follow him, if we will follow him in that self-giving, that sacrificial generosity, then on that day, we will be raised with him. Yes, it's risky now, but risk this life, don't risk the next one. We can have safety, we can have security in, in the resurrection to come when we follow and we trust in Jesus. Don't trade sacrifice for security in this life. You can live a safe and generous life now. You can give your life away now because it will be given back to you at the resurrection. We can risk because at the cross of Jesus, He took on that risk for us. And that means that whenever we face that risk, whenever we face that pain, that suffering, that He is with us. That He has already faced it. That even if it destroys our body, it can't destroy our soul. That He will redeem it. He will raise us up again. We can risk, risk, because we will be raised. And this is how the resurrection changes, not only what we speak and what we believe, but how we live. To live as a resurrection community is to know that this is not the end. To live as a resurrection community means that we can take up a cross because we know we will be resurrected. To actually believe in the resurrection is to say we are ready to take on whatever risk the Holy Spirit calls us to in this life because we have security in the next. Maybe you feel completely overwhelmed by the risk and by the anxiety of that risk in your life. Maybe it feels like it's too much to even press into. How can I even press into that giving of myself? I know how much it hurt last time. I look at the news, I know how much it could hurt. How do you do that? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And He wants to come and give you that assurance of His resurrection. This series that we've been in for six weeks is called Finding a New Day in Jesus. And that new day can start right now. He can give you a new freedom to give your life away if we give our life to Him. And when we give our life to Him, He becomes our refuge. We are hidden in Christ. He is our shield. And no matter what happens, we are with Him and He will raise us on that day. Yes, there will be a new day now that peace to give ourselves away. But there will be a new day then when the world awakens to, to be what it was 
meant to be. When we find our home in heaven, when heaven comes down to this earth, when all things are set right, we can give our life away now because it will be given back to us then. That's what it means to live in the resurrection. And you can enter into that resurrection today for the first time or in a deeper way. Generosity is only possible when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And generosity has to be sacrificial. It requires risk. So how do we start? How do we start living into a life of generosity? We've been talking about opening ourselves up to the Spirit. Trusting in Jesus, putting our faith in Him, that's the first step. If you're there, then you can take another step. You can start to practice generosity. You can start to learn it. You can do actions and things that take your hands off of, of what you and I have been grasping onto for security. And to, to let go of them and hold on to Jesus. Here's a few ideas. Um, open yourself and give yourself to your neighbors. Especially those neighbors who are hurting, who are far from the Lord, who need something. What would it mean to open your life generously to them? What would that look like? You can open yourself up to the church. If this is your church home, or if you feel the Lord leading you to be, this, this, to be your church home, you can open yourself up here. You can need one another. You can act like we're part of the same family. And when you're part of a family, you just expect that you're going to need each one another. And so we live life cultivating that interdependence so that there's no one among us who needs because we're caring for one another. You can open up yourself to the church. Part of that opening up to the church also includes opening up our finances to the Lord. And it seems like churches either talk about money too much or not at all. So we're going to talk about it just right. <laughs> So often we hold on to our finances as, as what gives us security. And the church has this practice since this passage we just read and far back into the Old Testament people of God of when we come worshiping together, of offering what we have to the Lord, of saying, my trust ultimately, Lord, is in you. And when we practice that kind of financial generosity together regularly, the Lord builds our trust in he builds us into the kind of community that actually lives resurrection generosity. And he builds us into the people that, and equips the mission of speaking of the resurrection. He builds us up and it builds up our mission of letting other people know. There's three different, three different areas, three different ways we can open ourselves up to our neighbors, to our church, and to our finances. Here's what I challenge you to do this week. Have a conversation with a trusted person. When was the last time you had a conversation with a trusted person about your generosity? Maybe you, you, you never had. But if we are one heart and one mind and we want to say that the things we have are not our own, let's talk about it. Take these questions to that person and ask one another, how can I open up myself to my neighbors? How can I open up myself to the church? How can I open up my finances to the Lord? 
Here's a couple of questions that have really helped me as I've asked that question and Bonnie and I have talked about it. Where am I afraid to take a risk? Where am I really just anxious to take a risk in my life? We can't have those people over. What would it be like? I can't serve at the church. What would that be like? I can't give that amount of money. Where is it you're afraid to take a risk? That will help you find where you need to relinquish that to the Lord and trust in Him more. Where am I placing my security? When have I felt generous? When have I felt like the Holy Spirit has moved me to give of myself to others? What happened? How did He use that? Or when has someone else done that for me? When have I received generosity? Well, Bonnie and I have got a front row seat to see so many people giving of themselves to make what's happening this morning happen. It's been exhilarating to see that the Lord uses that generosity to, to preach the resurrection and to build a community of the resurrection. How can I take a step in my weekly giving to the church? Maybe you've never given a gift financially to your church. Maybe you give it every once in a while and you want to say, I want to, I want to make this a practice, a regular thing I do to help me put my faith and my security in the resurrection of Jesus and not in myself. The uh, Book of Common Prayer, where we get a lot of the prayers for our prayer service, um, talks about the way of the cross. And it has this beautiful phrase that says, Jesus made the way of the cross, that way of sacrificial generosity. Jesus made the way of the cross to be the way of life. That it's only by laying down our lives and giving of ourselves for others that we find who we were made to be. That we find the life that is truly life, the full life in Jesus. It's only by giving ourselves away as he gave himself away for us. Do you pray with me? Lord, would you so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would be a community that speaks the resurrection and that lives the resurrection. That our faith in the resurrection is so securely in you that we can take up our cross and give of ourselves like we were made to do and like you, you modeled for us. And Lord, we know that this is only possible because before we loved you, you loved us and gave yourself for us an offering and sacrifice to God. And so, Lord, teach us to walk in love as you loved us. Teach us to be imitators of your divine generosity. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that many in this world who, who live with risk constantly, risk of their life now, but also risk of their life to come, so that many can hear your good news and be in a community where there is no need, where no one says that anything that belongs to them is their own, and that we are of one heart and one mind with you, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.